This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly sponsored by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. As a city supporter, we know you value delivery and McDelivery is up there with the very best. You'll always be winning with McDelivery because just like Kevin De Bruyne, McDelivery puts your order right on a plate. So the only thing left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered as well. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for you tomorrow. Only via the app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Bubble Machines, Danny Dyer, Stratford Tube Station, Danny Dyer again, the London Stadium and Jared Bowen. They are just a few things I didn't expect to be saying I loved by the end of the weekend, but here we are. City's title challenge marches on as Arsenal slip up yet again. It's Monday the 17th of April. I'm Amos Murphy. I'm John Ashley. And this is the City Report Podcast. Where is going from Unbelievable! Manchester United 1, Manchester City 6, it's 2 for Dzeko. Tottenham Hotspur 3, Manchester City 4. They have made the impossible possible. Welcome back to a brand new week, uh, a pretty big week. I'm already getting the jitters, I have to say. It is going to be, I reckon, every week now season-defining. But as always, at this point on your Monday morning or afternoon, whenever you're listening to this show, moment of the weekend, John. It was another another momentous one, possibly one that we'll look back at at the end of the season and go, yeah, that was that was one of them weekends. Um, was there one moment that stuck out for you? Yeah, I think for me, the one moment was... Johnny Stones firing home a left-footed volley from the edge of the area. Just not something you expect to see on a on a Saturday afternoon, really. <laughs> I know. I know exactly what you mean. It was like, so early in the game as well. Obviously, we'll get to it. Um, the, the bit I loved about that, it's not my moment, but the bit I loved about that was after the celebrations had died down. I don't know how much the TV cameras picked this up, but he was in sort of... In, in, it, so he was singing with the South Stand his own song, the Johnny Johnny Stones, and he was doing. He was orchestrating. I think was the word I was looking for. Sort of um, hand in hand with the South Stand. So that was that was incredible. Oh, hang that in the Louvre. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, or the Manchester Art Gallery for those more more uh, close to home. Um, right, okay, my moment of the weekend. It's from that game. I, I, you may have seen this on the City Report podcast Twitter feed, but it was somebody streaming the Grand National, which is a very big horse race in the UK, one of the probably the biggest of the season, in fact, streaming the Grand National on an iPad from from the South Stand as well. Um, it just really made me laugh. I have no idea why. I just find when you see sports, different sports in sort of in coherence with each other, I find it at cricket sometimes. People wearing yeah. football shirts, and it's like. That doesn't look right. It's it just there's something is off in the in the world, but it made me laugh, and uh, hopefully they got a few winners. But um, should we crack on then, John? Because like I said, we've got plenty to get through. If we, we'll probably in the next coming days before the buying game focus a lot on the title race in general. But I think it's a good place to start because it was the game that happened sort of most recently to this. City played the Saturday, Arsenal played the Sunday. Are they wobbling? Was that a performance of prospective title challenges where you look at it and go, you've not got the juice, you've not got the 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 mentality. I think somebody dubbed them the mentality Muppets as opposed to the mentality monsters. But I, I don't know. I still feel like Arsenal are going to have a big say in this race. But the last two weeks, they've thrown away two goal leads. It's impossible to say something isn't untoward, isn't it? Yeah. And I think in the same way that we were saying in... November and January that, you know, the manner of those Arsenal victories just seem to be really pointing them towards the title, those late mm. victories, I'm thinking against Villa, against uh, United. Uh, in the same way, these draws recently, it's not so much the result, but the manner of the result that losing, you know, giving away two goal leads twice in a week, mm. that that's going to have a psychological impact on the squad. You would think so, at least, wouldn't you? And I know there's a bit of conversation during the game whether or not if Arsenal had snatched another another late winner, would that have boosted them? I'm of the opinion, I think, at this stage of the season, if you win, regardless of how it happens, how, how it comes, and, and we'll get to that with City in, in a bit later on, but even if you are playing badly and you win the game, you are still taking three points, and with six, seven, eight games left to go, it really doesn't matter. Nobody remembers the, the man of the victory in 10 years' time when your name's on the title, but I do think there is something possibly just the the, the configurations are off a little bit at, at Arsenal. It'll be interesting to see, obviously, they play I think it's half the amount of games City might play if they win all games in all competitions. So that's just one to watch. Like I said, we'll probably deep uh, dive deeper into that a bit later on in the week. But but let's refocus attention on the game that meant Arsenal slipping up was so impactful. Manchester City three, Leicester City won a scoreline, which I don't know if <laughs> either way you could say it reflects the the nature of the game. It was a really intriguing contest, and um, we'll, we'll start with the first half because that's where. The good stuff happened, quite literally. Early on in the game, you mentioned it. John Stone swinging the left boot, the sweetest of strikes you're ever likely to see. And if ever a man in recent weeks has deserved a goal like this, it was John Stone's. You know, we spoke about it. He can do literally everything at this point. He hadn't scored a left-footed half volley from outside the box. Well, he's ticked that off the list. And um, yeah, you could tell he enjoyed it too. Yeah, absolutely. And it was so nonchalant. It's... One of the reasons that, that I think John Stones doesn't get the amount of credit that he deserves, especially at an international level, is that he makes everything look so simple, including mm. a left-footed half volley into the top corner. Like it, you know, it just looked like oh, he's just he's literally just swung his foot at that and just passed it into the top corner of the net. And it's like, well, yeah, he did, but 
I'd like to see you do that. And yeah, you just the 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 level of technical ability that guy has is up there with anyone's in the squad for me. Mm, yeah, yeah, he, he, he is. He gets the tag of a Swiss Army knife, and that I feel like sometimes could be a bit not derogatory, but it can sort of diminish the qualities of a player. Like James Milner's a Swiss Army knife in the sense that he can do, you know, he can play near enough anywhere. But can he be a world-class operator near enough anywhere? Absolutely not. Can John Stones? Yeah, quite comfortably. And we've seen it in the last month or so. Uh, we've seen it for the past sort of five years in in spells. But, you know, this this does feel like this is his best stint, possibly since one of the 2020 seasons. I can't quite remember which one it was, where he was imperious next to Diaz. Um, but this, you know, he's coming into his own. He's playing all sorts of different positions. And now he's adding goals to his game, which is fantastic. Um, and another man, well. And yeah, and assist. Yeah, he's a creative genius, isn't he? Maybe he should be pushed higher up the pitch a little bit. Number nine. Harlan's going to be worried. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, you mentioned his name there, Erling Harland. He goes joint level for the most goals in a 38-game season. There's still, what is it, seven or six games left to go. It felt inevitable, didn't it? Obviously, he's not broken the record yet. And I think there's a few people sitting on a few bets, which will be hoping that these rotated minutes sort of ease off a little bit and Haaland can stay on the pitch to get as many goals as possible. But 32 goals in in the number of games he's played is, is astonishing. And again, we're back here. What else is there left to say? I want to start, because obviously penalties are penalty. I actually think he, he possibly scuffed it a little bit. It wasn't the cleanest of connections. He, he placed it really well. The uh, the uh, the execution maybe a little bit off. Once to watch, who knows, but it still went in, so, so who cares? But that second goal, it feels like that was the first time, unless my memory fails me, since West Ham on the opening day of the season, we've seen that ball in behind the centre-halves, Haaland running onto it. Obviously, this time he takes a touch and lost it superbly over the on-rushing goalkeeper. It's weird that we've not seen that more because quite clearly the two can do it. Kevin De Bruyne, that is, obviously playing the pass as well. Yeah, the only other kind of occasions where it happened it, and they didn't end up in goals were the first two games back after the World Cup, like 10 seconds in both times, Liverpool and Leeds, I think. Yeah. The ball went in that inside left channel and he had a chance to lob the keeper. And both times it didn't quite come off, I think. Keeper made a good save against Leeds, and he and he skied it against Liverpool. But yeah, just that the way that that um, the way that that move worked, that's that's kind of what you expected when you you know you saw all of of Haaland's performances for Dortmund in the Bundesliga, and, and you just imagined De Bruyne just feeding those balls into the gaps between the two centre halves, and that's exactly what happened. His first touch is fantastic. His second touch. The, the little kind of half dink over the goalkeeper, that's a striker whose form and confidence are absolutely through the roof. And it's a goal that City don't score last season mm-hmm. because does does Gabriel Jesus finish that off like that? Probably not. Does Raheem Sterling? Certainly not. He takes four touches, then he tries to square it off to a player and, and ultimately gets intercepted. That's not to diminish their their qualities as footballers. He was superb and just suited to other things. And I think that's probably what, when when the discussion and the conversation around Haaland takes off, it almost feels like the novelty of him scoring goals has worn off for a lot of people. But there are so many inst- instances where that move is perfect about it. One thing I don't think he gets enough credit for is his movement. Is is you know he's a big lumbering six foot four. I'm not quite sure what he weighs, but it's not going to be light. You should not be able to get across the pitch that fast. Mm. He's obviously got quite 
good genes in 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 the in the uh, the DNA sense, not the the Levi Strauss sense. But he's he's from an athlete's family. He's been built. He's been trained. He's sort of groomed himself to be the the sort of the physique he is but at the same time he's still got that acceleration straight off which is like you'd associate it with a tricky five foot eight winger or something like that not a six foot four center forward and um i saw a fantastic stat going back to his goal scoring the top 10 goal scorers in europe this season mbappe rashford and Lewandowski, benzema and ozyman kane they they make up the top six if you were to only count Haaland's goals before and after the World Cup his goals before and after the World Cup he features in the top 10 goal scorers in Europe he got 24 before the World Cup so he got 23 before the World Cup he got 24 after the World Cup obviously he's now on 47 for the season which is scary scary numbers but where where's where's the limit? It's it's a conversation we have every week. I think Ollie last week said that perhaps he could get to sixty. I think the record for an English player might be Dixie Deans from the nineteen twenties, which is around 63, that mark. Yeah. Like that. Yeah, it's around that mark. Um I think Messi holds the all all time record for a single season in the seventies. So I think we can safely say that's not happening. Or, or maybe it will. But um what 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 what's what more can he do now? Because I feel like the minutes probably will drop off therefore the goals will but yeah i mean it's you know he needs the 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 maximum games that we potentially have left in the season with champions league and fa cup to kind of threaten that dixie dean number but at the same time if we're playing all those games harlan's minutes are going to be reduced and so you know and if he plays like he did yesterday and scores two and city is three and a look at half time you know at what point does he start thinking, hmm, maybe I should start missing a couple just so I get a bit more game time if that's how he's feeling? Um, 4D chess. I think that would, you know, if if there's an Inside City documentary that comes out on this season, which I imagine there will be, um, I would be really interested to see Harlan coming off at halftime yesterday and just how that, his reaction to that. Um, mm. And, I'm, you know, I'm sure the day after he trusts Pep. We, we, we've heard a lot about how he, he kind of idolizes Guardiola and, and Guardiola is just trying to protect him. We saw at Dortmund that it's very easy to run someone with his talent into the ground. But at the same time, it's got to be frustrating when you're so close to, you know, he, he could he could feasibly, had he stayed on for like 20 more minutes be th- in the last couple of games, be threatening the Premier League hat-trick record in the space of, one season let alone the the course of a premier league career so there's got to be a kind of a an internal tension there um it'd be interesting to see how that continues to be managed he's certainly a victim of his own success in the sense that even go back to start the season there's so many games where his goals kept city in well, sort of gave City three points. Um, you were at one of them in the in the Fulham game back in November, I think it was, where he scored a last minute penalty, having been injured in the week before he comes on. Uh, I mean, he very well could have scored from open play in that game. A tight offside denied him a goal there, but you know he, he has it, not not. So, I don't want to use the word carried. I don't think he's carried City, but he's certainly been the reason why when this system wasn't flowing the way it has been in recent weeks. Like, for example, if you take Haaland out of it, like we did against Liverpool, City still have enough quality to win every single game this season and win them quite comfortably. If you take Haaland out of the system 
in October, November, just after the World Cup break. I don't think I don't think you do at all. I think there were very, very a, a number of occasions where Haaland has been the the reason why City have three points, which is fair enough. He's an incredible goal scorer, but because of that, we're now into mid-April, where City are in all three competitions. They've got a, a fantastic chance at winning all three competitions. And that's sort of gonna gonna diminish his game time because he can't play every minute, as we saw at Brushy Dortmund. When you're playing too much, he gets injured. And if he was to go down now, it would be detrimental to City's campaign. So it is certainly it's certainly sort of like not so much chicken and egg. But what what, what do you cut first? Do you keep him on, keep him on, and let him score sixty season, or do you know do you, do you take him off and and manage those minutes slightly? Um, I wanna I wanna pick up on before we move on to the second half, which was. Notably different, and it's safe to say. I want to pick up on Kevin De Bruyne because he's had. It, it, it's weird, isn't it? He's almost having in front of our eyes. I feel like in ten years' time, we can look back at this campaign and go, "That was one of the best ever seasons uh, a single individual player had." I think if City go on and win the Champions League, his name is immediately thrusted into Ballon d'Or contention, and Bar Mbappe, who what maybe got France close to a, a World Cup and Lionel Messi as well. You know, they're the only competitors. There's no one in, in European football having that sort of season. However, at the same time, there's been moments this year where we've had debates about dropping him and our City better team without Kevin De Bruyne. One thing that impressed me the most against Leicester was that Haaland goal, not the pass. And Guardiola mentioned this in his in his post-match. He said winning the duel and winning the 50-50, which I think hasn't always been De Bruyne's strong point and preferred way to play football you know he's got the ball and he's played football that sense he's never really been one to always win the ball back and I think after that little stint he had out of the team I remember Spurs away he was dropped Palace away he was dropped he come back into the team after that I think it was a Leipzig game maybe that kicked it off but he's been superb and and this is his time of the year isn't it this when he really gets into full gear yeah April Kevin De Bruyne is untouchable for me just the you know, thinking back to that Wolves game last season where he scored four, yeah. you know, he could have played them on his own and he would have <laughs> He's, I think he just, he's he's also at a point, you know, he's he's getting into his 30s now. He's, he's managing, he, I wonder how much he's learned from Gundogan in terms of managing his game to an extent that, and, and but over the course of a season, like when he knows he's playing badly, he's not going to try and force it too much, mm-hmm. um, because that's kind of where he's gotten injuries. I think in in the past is that he's just been trying to really stretch himself to play himself back into form. Whereas you know, form form is temporary, class is permanent, and we see that every every April. Uh, that that might be cliche, but it's it's pretty true. I think with Kevin, mm. he's just so. You know, every time you think that he's he's maybe, you know, he's on that decline, he just kind of comes back and does what he, what he did yesterday and what he's been doing for a month now. What what do you think? What what what's next for Kevin De Bruyne? Obviously, opening it up to to a little bit of a look ahead to next season because we had David Silva who. I go back to it a lot of the time. The conversation is about him being the best midfielder of the Premier League era. And I say quite comfortably, it can't. He, that's not true because for a lot of his City career, he was an attacker. But he obviously evolved into this sort of stylish, advanced A, working with the uh, with the midfield in a, in a free and, and, and turned out to be pretty good at it. Who'd have thought? Shock, shock horror. But, you know, he wasn't always that position. Is there an evolution to come with De Bruyne? Because, you know, he's not the fastest. Mm. He's not 
the strongest. He's always been a little bit of this sort of, not so much skinny, but he, he looks a bit out of place just on, on a football field. When you look at him physically, he isn't a specimen like, you know, Erling Haaland, for example, or Ruben Diaz. Is he going to be able to do this for forever? Is he going to? I suppose it will be down to fitness and injuries. But is there a way that he can maybe extend his career at City into late thirties, or is there going to come a point, perhaps in the next season or so, where he hits a wall and goes, "Yeah, that's it for me." And I mean, what a career it would have been if that is the case. But is it, it, does he have like a, I don't know a Vincent Company, David Silva esque sort of going into the late thirties? It's it's difficult to 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 see just because of when you look at some of the options that City are going to have coming through, uh, especially with this shape that City have mm. got, you look at, you know, John Stones' position in in that 3-2-4-2, two, two, whatever that formation is that City play. <laughs> um, I, I still haven't figured it out, so good luck to... I don't, yeah, I don't think anyone else, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, as part of a double pivot, I could kind of see... De Bruyne in in that role alongside a Rodri, but you know be, being that deep lying playmaker a little bit more quarterback style in terms basically. of he doesn't have to do the running up and down the pitch mm-hmm. he can just sort of offload it elsewhere. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I, I think he's got the relationship and the kind of the the telepathy, if you like, with the likes of Grealish and Haaland and and I think Alvarez as well. Even now to to find those balls and and for them to know okay, I'm going to run into this channel and then Kev's going to try and find me. That being said, Pep doesn't play teams that carry individuals. And so I think that's, you know, if, if his... If his legs and his kind of energy goes, he, he can't do a Fernandinho and go to centre-back. Um, and... I, I, I really don't want Kev to have one of those moments that, that Fernandinho had when he was playing auxiliary right back against Real Madrid. Against Vinny Junior, nonetheless. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, like, that 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 would kind of be a bit of a, an insult, I think, to, to someone of, of Kevin's stature. So, you know, in, in the way that I think David Silva could probably still do a job for City now, I, in in this team even, um, I, I don't I don't know if that's Kevin's destiny in this mm. in this side. Um, that being said, I don't know where he would go after after City at, at that kind of age. I don't know what kind of level he would want. Whether or not any other club would be willing to offer the kind of level he'd be looking for. So it's an interesting one for sure. Yeah, um, maybe just go into Mary D's and, and play out his career in there <laughs> on, on the DJ yeah. booth. He, he's contracted City until 2025, so I think we'll probably see him till then. I think that'll probably be the part uh, when when decisions made. I don't know why we're talking down his career. He's still he's still a fantastic footballer. And I was <laughs> just saying he could be he could be Ballon d'Or contender. But yeah, he was he was superb. I was just looking ahead. You know, he, can he do that forever? Maybe so. Um, right, okay, that'll do for part one. Join us in a moment as we discuss. What went wrong in that second half? Welcome back to the City Report podcast, your home for daily Manchester City content. As I said, a mammoth week starting today with our Leicester review. Tomorrow, our attentions immediately switch towards Bayern Munich, whilst also discussing that title race, as I mentioned beforehand. And then obviously the big one, 3 nil up Wednesday night, what could possibly go wrong? Um, John, back to, back to the second half, which is a, a warning sign I felt for City in that game. It, it was a not so much a wake-up call because... 
it was self-inflicted and, and City, the players on the pitch, I, I'm hesitant to blame them because I think in that sort of game, 3-0 up, half-time, Harlan comes off, John Stones comes off. Um, obviously, you're replacing, you're chopping and changing every 10, 15 minutes. There's new personnel on the pitch. But it wasn't great, was it? And and City really lost control and and possibly for the last 20 minutes or so, I know I was in the stadium certainly thinking, dear me, this could comfortably finish 3-3 if Leicester get their, get their act together. And I think they had the chances to make it 3-3 if not for some good saves from Edison and, and, and the post coming in, in City's hand. Um, what, what specifically went wrong for City? And, and was it a one-off or was it something to be concerned about? This is a... This is a really difficult question because I think we the double factors of we we changed personnel and as you say we were regularly changing personnel and with that shape um, throughout the second half we were clearly like broadcasting to the entire league that we were in rest in game mode for forty five minutes here but at the same time we decided that that rest would not include City look kind of attacking at all. We were just going to try and keep the ball away from Leicester. Mm. And I don't think when you have a League Cup team out there um, that that, i.e. players that don't often play together in a competitive environment, I don't think that that is something that is going to work, a strategy that is going to work. So I think maybe some of the subs were done too early. Um, and, you know, I, I was surprised that, that that both Harland and Stones came off at halftime. Um, and I it, think... it felt textbook 10 minutes in, see where the game lies, take yeah. them off then, didn't it? Because cause, I, I, I completely agree. It felt like everything we've seen from this situation in the past was just accelerated sort of 10, 15 minutes earlier. So, you know, the substitutions happen at halftime, for example. Then, obviously, the second round of subs. City starting to lose a little bit of control. Fair enough, that usually happens. I think there was a Wolves game earlier in the season, which was similar. I don't think Wolves scored, but uh, certainly in the sense that, you know, City lost control when the subs came on. Aston Villa as well. Aston Villa did score and the clean sheet went went then. But it felt like by the last 15 minutes, City were holding on a little bit. And, and fair play to Edison. Um, I know mm-hmm. you you and, and Joe and Andrew spoke about that after the buying game. You know, he, he, he's been criticised and perhaps fairly so, perhaps unfairly so in certain parts. But that was a big save. That was a massive save. save. Um, and, and he stayed on his line as well, which I don't know if is, is sort of something that's been picked up on a lot. But he, he, he seems to have calmed the rushing out a little bit. Yeah, he seems to be sitting deeper when, you know, he's not playing sweeper-keeper as much. Mm. That might have something to do with the shape and the fact that our defence is a little deeper as well. But, you know, it came from... It's, it, well, it's, it's also because of, of where it came from a Ruben Diaz error, which playing is out for, playing out from the back. Yeah. Which is rare. Um, but, you know, and then it was kind of one-on-one straight away. Uh, so I'm not sure how much we can actually read into that positioning because it was a an unforced error kind of situation that, that led to an, an, an unusual situation. But I think it was a fun, it was a really, really big save, not only in the context of this game, but I think in the context of Edison's season, I think he's not been immune to the criticism that he's received. And to, to be able to pull something off like that will do him the world of good. Uh, and, you know, on top of those brilliant saves that he made against Bayern in the week. So 
you know, everyone's kind of coming into form at the right times. Um, but, but in terms of the rest of it, it's, it's, it's really difficult to read anything or too much into that, in, into that second half, just because of how clearly we were resting it in game. Clearly we, we already had half of our mind on the Bayern game. Um, and, and until like the last 20 minutes, until they scored, Leicester just kind of seemed, you know, that they were okay to just take the three 0 loss and and and, and kind of get out of there. Uh, so it was, you know, a good sting in the tail from their perspective. But well done to Eddie. Well done to, uh, you know, I think Akanji came on and did okay actually. Um, but the rest of them, you know, Phillips, Gomez, not 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 great for them. I don't think. Yeah, and and again, I, I go back to. I, I, I'll take Calvin Phillips for example because he's he's had a weird season. He's had a very mm. very very strange season, and, and I think from a judgment point of view, from our perspective, and, and and you know, sort of even stretching into supporters' perspective, I think it would be fair for him and fair for us to not write this season off because he can still have plenty to play, but just sort of. Okay, yes, there's a few errors. He, he looked tidy enough with the ball. I think when he gave the ball away, it was more ambitious passes. I think there was one he tried round the corner, which I'm thinking at the time, lads, you've just come on, you're trying to impress, don't be doing that. But at the same time, you know, in his head, he's thinking, God, there's an FA Cup semi-final coming up in a few weeks. I'd love to start and I've got an opportunity to start. I'd, and for example, if City are 2-0 up with 15 minutes to go at the Allianz, by that I mean on the night, I don't want to be 2-0 up sort of on aggregate. Um, but, you know, if there's a situation like that where City are closing out a game, I want to be the man to be brought on. I think Rodri... Yeah looked exhausted by that second mm. half and he was taken off at the right time but you know for someone like Phillips I think it's fair to maybe come back to this conversation in 12 months but just just looking ahead then to that semi-final I know there's a bit of discussion beforehand going it obviously comes uh sort of after the second leg in Munich which is the Wednesday night game so it's 24 hours less preparation for the Saturday game against Sheffield United which comes before this big top of the table clash against Arsenal at the Etihad Stadium. Do, was was that second half against Leicester sort of maybe ironclad proof to Guardiola that perhaps the the amount of rotation that some would have wanted and perhaps he would have wanted to 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 implement, you know, the likes of John Stones, Haaland, uh, Nathan Ake, etc., not playing at all. Was that maybe a wake up call to go? Okay, maybe it is the 13, 14 plays that I need to rely on because the squad depth, the quality in that depth just isn't there. Yeah. And I and I think on the on the flip side of what I said earlier, you have that sense of, look, this is what we're dealing with on the on the squad side of things. So we need to bring the likes of Harlan, Stones, Grealish, De Bruyne off early so that they can play the majority of the next three games in a row um in the space of seven days eight days so you know that that game in, in munich that could get tight uh it might not um but it de- definitely has the potential to um and then you know the least important of the three is is absolutely the fa cup semi-final against sheffield united um which you know i love the fa cup and it's it it, it just kind of comes at a very very unfortunate time uh for, for in, in in city season that they have to be like okay we you know this is the, this is the lowest priority of these three games that we have in in a mm. week but you know one of the interesting kind of 
wrinkles to this is that Arsenal do play Southampton who you, uh, at home on Friday night, which is, you know, it's three points. You, 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 you would think, yeah, foregone conclusion, basically three points. Mm. Um, but if it somehow isn't, then that actually benefits City in terms of their team selection potentially because the, the, the picture against Arsenal on Wednesday has then changed. Um, so it, it then affects their team selection in the cup. So much as you know, it could have been 12 points that City were going into that game against Arsenal uh, behind them, no longer the case. And really interesting to see if Southampton somehow got something what that might do to the lineup on Saturday. There, there are so many moving parts. I almost feel like famous last words, of course, but if City were to play Arsenal tomorrow, given the current wobble they've had, I think City would blitz them quite comfortably, clean sheet, number of goals. But touch what it doesn't happen. Say one of the main men goes down injured, and I know Ilkay Gundogan, Nathan Ake um, didn't play at all. Haaland only had forty-five minutes. John Stones had forty-five minutes. Akanji, who sort of morphed himself or elevated himself into quite a key player, I think, with that Bayern Munich performance, which was superb, he only got forty-five minutes or so as well. Say something happens to one of them lads, suddenly the pitch is a lot different, and um, yeah, lots of moving parts because. That that Sheffield United game, say for example, the worst happens in Munich, could become quite important for City because it's a chance yeah. to win, tr- chance to win a trophy. So it's sort of, I feel like a manager, take one game at a time. I think that's probably the best part for my heart rate at this time of the season. Quickly before we bounce, then Kletchi Nacho got a goal. He didn't celebrate. I love seeing that lad happy. I think he's absolutely ace. I think he's had a really, really difficult time of it at Leicester City. I really would like him to get a move elsewhere, even if Leicester stay up. I, I just think he is such a complete forward. He should be playing European football. And obviously, really, it's not the hardest goal. I reckon even I could have scored it, but he came close to getting a second. Um, it's yeah. not about him missing big chances at the Etihad in title races, I have to say. But yeah, it was nice to see him get on the score sheet. Yeah, yeah. Kalechi. You know, scored in a derby, I think, in, in Guardiola's first season, Old Trafford. Um, and yeah, uh, 20, 20, 2018, 19, that, that miss uh, for Leicester with about three minutes left always, always has a very warm place in my heart. Um, but yeah, I, I, I hope he gets a move. Be interesting to see, you know, where he would, he would figure. Um, you know, before this season, you'd have thought Arsenal would have been a really interesting place for him. Mm. Um, but Jesus and him are, are a bit too similar, I think, which is the reason that Iniacho left City in the first place. <laughs> um, but then, yeah, maybe, I don't know, Newcastle, again, maybe too similar mm. to, to, I don't know, uh, that's the problem. He, he's kind of relatively generic in terms yeah. of what what a lot of the, the, top, the, the top teams have right now. Um he didn't used to be, but he is now. Yeah, it, we've almost gone from an era of not having many sort of out-and-out strikers and not being the era of them. And, and obviously, it was a fantastic utility sort of forward in that sense. Now we're in the in the era of almost big target men coming back with mm. Haaland, with, with other strikers in Europe as well. That's what people want. Um, so yeah, hopefully he can he, he can land on his feet. I'm sure he will. He's, he's a talented player with plenty of years ahead of him. Um, John, that was really fun. Really enjoyed it. Thank you very much. Pleasure. And as I said, stick around. Big week, plenty of reviews, previews, etc. to come here on the City Report podcast. Until next time, we'll see you later.
Make sure you're geared up for Man City's end-of-season running with McDelivery. Great food delivered right to your door. By using McDelivery, you won't miss a moment of City's crucial running, and just like Kevin De Bruyne, they deliver your order exactly where you want it. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. Are you in? At participating restaurants only, 18 and plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply, see mcdonalds.com. And there it is, that's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.